In just three games last season, in a backup role, Jalen Redmond recorded six tackles and two and a half tackles for loss. Extrapolate those numbers, and Redmond has 10 TFLs in the regular season as a reserve. Only Kenneth Murray and Curtis Bolton had more than 10 tackles for loss a year ago. Redmond's a special player, a player with a lot of upside and not a lot of experience. Many of you may already know that Redmond played just two years of high school football at Midwest City. He spent the first two years of his high school career focusing on basketball. Redmond's recruiting exploded after a dominant junior season on the gridiron. Eventually, he signed with that 2018 OU class. Redmond, one of the most prized recruits in that top 10 Sooners recruiting class. As an early enrollee for the spring of 2018, Redmond seemed to be setting himself up for a great shot to compete for a starting spot as a true freshman in the fall. Those hopes were dashed in late July last year when Lincoln Riley announced Redmond would miss the 2018 season because of blood clots. As we all know, Redmond was cleared to play in October. It was an unexpected boost to Oklahoma's defense, but it only lasted for those aforementioned three games. The blood clots came back, and Redmond was shut down in mid-November. Now, this past spring, Redmond had contact restrictions, so instead of normal spring practice, he worked out on the side with Benny Wiley. Redmond attended meetings. He went through walkthroughs. Redmond did everything, with the exception of putting on the pads and putting on the helmet and hitting some people. Last week, we got some good news about Redmond's status. Lincoln Riley saying that Redmond's doing well, and they expect him to be a full go this summer without any limitations. At the same time, Oklahoma will continue to monitor Redmond very closely. In a perfect world, Jalen Redmond will get through the summer fully healthy. He'll strap on the pads and helmet in August, and come week one against Houston, Redmond will be starting at rush linebacker for the Sooners. But if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know my stance on Redmond's future at Oklahoma. I'm not hopeful, and I hope I'm wrong. But the history of blood clots and athletes do not favor Redmond, and I'm afraid his playing days might be over. Consider these examples. Blood clots ended Chris Bosch's NBA career in 2016. The Miami Heat medical staff couldn't clear Bosch to play near the end of that season because of recurring blood clots. Bosch never played again. Lakers forward Brandon Ingram was shut down in early March because doctors found a blood clot in his right arm. Ingram's expected to make a full recovery, but Lakers executives are reportedly worried about Ingram's future. But hey, those are basketball players, right? Maybe football is different. Tennessee junior offensive lineman Trey Smith, a potential first-round draft pick. Doctors detected blood clots in his lungs in late October of last year. After starting the first seven games of Tennessee's season, Smith was shut down. This wasn't the first time blood clots were found in Smith. He missed spring practice of 2018 because blood clots were found. This past February, a few months ago, Tennessee coach Jeremy Pruitt said he did not know if Smith would be able to play this fall. Redmond's situation seems to be similar to Trey Smith's ailment. When Redmond's blood clots were initially found last summer, Doctors discovered the clots in Redmond's lungs. Joe Masato of the Oklahoman reported at the time that doctors think the blood clots may have originated in Redmond's leg, perhaps after an injury he sustained in the spring of 2018. Then, after his October return a year ago, when Oklahoma shut Redmond down for the rest of the season, Lincoln Riley said Redmond had, quote, another occurrence of what he had before. 
Blood clots in the lungs are scary. Blood clots in the lungs can kill. Former Clemson running back C.J. Fuller died last October because of a blood clot in his lungs. The blood clot was believed to be connected to a football-related knee injury. Right now in May of 2019, it sounds like Redmond's health is good. Now, hopefully months and months of recovery has drastically reduced the chances of a blood clot recurrence. But based on the evidence at hand, I'm skeptical. I hope I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. Please be wrong. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. The Browns are one for one on third down. Baker's got the snap. He's up in the pocket. He's looking left. Down the field. Firing. He's going for Landry. Down by the end zone. A tumble catch for a touchdown. Unbelievable. Mayfield with a rocket of 51 yards to go with a 66-yarder earlier. And the Browns are a kick away from tying the ball game up. We go to the NFL for this week's intro. It was Baker Mayfield's prettiest touchdown pass of his rookie season. A 51-yard strike to Jarvis Landry back on December 9th of last year. Mayfield climbed the pocket and delivered an absolutely perfect ball that fit behind a couple of defenders into Landry's arms for the score. The ball traveled 55 yards in the air on an absolute rope. There is a reason I wanted to use this play for our intro today, and I'll tell you why when we bring Grant in, because I'd like to think he might have some thoughts on this as well. Welcome into West of Everest. Once again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join me here in a moment. Today, we're going to begin our early look at OU's 2019 opponents. The Sooners play Houston in week one on September the 1st. So the Cougars are in our sights today. Plus, Lincoln Riley spoke to some members of the OU Beat Media last week for the first time since the spring game. Riley also sat down for a one-on-one interview with my boss over at News 9 in Oklahoma City, Sports Director Dean Blevins. I got a chance to be there for that interview. I helped shoot it. And after the interview was over with, I had a pretty interesting interaction with Lincoln Riley. I'll get into that here in a little bit during today's show. So let's bring in Grant for the first time now. Grant, how's it going today? Well, it's going. Finally getting some some decent weather here in the Twin Cities. It's almost June, finally. I'm sure you remember that pass from the intro quite vividly, because I think that you told me, Grant, that was maybe your favorite touchdown pass of the year, or maybe one of the best balls he's ever thrown. Yeah, I don't, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of a better throw in the NFL last season at all. Um, honestly, one of the better throws I've ever seen. Uh, fit it just in that tight of a window 55 yards in the air on a rope is is pretty remarkable that's an insane throw if if you guys don't know what we're talking about I would uh if 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 you go and try to look up Baker Mayfield highlights it's probably going to be one of the top ones that's on there it was um it was the definition of an elite NFL throw it was absolutely insane so here's why I wanted to use that today in the intro or this week in the intro it's because i saw a tweet on tuesday from warren sharp and if you're not familiar with warren sharp he provides nfl analytics he's a good follow on twitter for football junkies like everyone i'm sure probably is who listens to this podcast and i saw that sharp tweeted a screenshot from the box score of mayfield's nfl debut game last year against the jets in week three and the screenshot had Mayfield's stats along with Terod Taylor's stats from that game. And you all probably remember that Mayfield was awesome in that game. And Taylor's numbers 
uh, before he was knocked out with an injury were just absolutely putrid. And along with the screenshot, Sharp tweeted, quote, Remember when Tarod Taylor played terrible, then ran himself into a hit which KO'd him? Baker came in, down 14, first NFL snaps, hung these insane numbers and won, gave Hugh his first win since 2016. Hugh, obviously I'm Hugh Jackson. Hugh said he would have to, quote, watch the film to see which quarterback should start the next game. And then Sharp put the crying, laughing face emoji at the end of his tweet. So that was a pretty funny tweet. It was a good tweet. And then he followed that up with another tweet saying, quote, in 2017, Hugh Jackson said that 52nd overall pick to Sean Kaiser has, quote, it and gave him first team reps, first team reps, then started him week one despite his quarterback coach pleading against it. But first overall pick Mayfield couldn't earn first team reps and didn't start for weeks getting playing time only due to Terod Taylor's injury. <laughs> so there is the a very tweets. specific reason why Hugh Jackson is no longer a head coach in the NFL. <laughs> I, I think I, I think we can pretty easily put him up there with one of the worst coaches in the history of the league, right? If 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 not the worst. Yeah, that I'm all for criticizing Hugh Jackson because he's a legitimately bad head football coach, and yes, one of if not the worst NFL coaches maybe of all time. I mean, how many games did he win in his career? Three. Well, he coached Oakland for a season. Prior oh yeah, I to forgot Cleveland. about that where I believe he went 8 and 8. So after that season, you think, man, I mean, that's pretty good, but in the 3 years with Cleveland, I guess it was ended up being what two and a half because he got fired mid-season. Yeah, they won one game in the first 2 years and then the, he won two games with uh with Baker. And then he was fired and Cleveland won 5 of their last I think 8 games. So more, they won more games in a half half a season than Jackson won in two and a half seasons. So it's just, and I just I found this giant article on Bleacher Report, which I'm not the biggest Bleacher Report fan, but I'll give them credit when it's due. A guy named Gary Davenport. This is from January before a lot of the head coaches were hired in the NFL. And remember, there was kind of rumors about how the Bengals might hire Hugh Jackson as their head coach because obviously he went there mid-season last year after he was fired. Do you remember those kind of rumors, Grant? Yeah, I do. So, yeah, this was written during that, and the headline of the story by Gary Davenport is Hiring Hugh Jackson, a catastrophe waiting to happen for NFL teams. And he lists legitimately all the the reasons why he was just such a bad coach. And obviously I'm not going to get into him right now if you want to go look it up and find it. Um, it's just he he blamed other people. He didn't learn. He, was, he found a way to not get the most out of Baker Mayfield, the only coach really to do that, it seems like, since Baker Mayfield has been playing football in his life. And Hugh Jackson figured out a way to, to get an okay version, but not as good of a version as Freddie Kitchens got after, he, after uh, Hugh Jackson got fired. So. I'm always just taken aback by just the sheer number of incompetent head coaches that that league has gone through. And it's a old boy. I mean, the old old boys club cliche is probably true because like I I, how I just don't get it. And unless unless the league is just that tough, that unforgiving that it makes even just the smartest guys look dumb. But I don't know. There's some things that Hugh Jackson did that are that just defy logic or common sense. So 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, those are interesting questions to ask. I just, is there another profession where there are more just incompetent head guys than the NFL? Oh, that's something to think. Or just of. any I'm other sure league, just any other league in general. Yeah, so you have to keep it in in pro sports. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, football is a sport that you and I pay the closest amount of attention to and know more most about. I know you know and you follow baseball a lot closer than I do now. So maybe you have thoughts on baseball. But the thing is with baseball, baseball managers, they just don't have as much of an effect on each game as football coaches do. I mean, they have the most effect of any coach in all of sports, in my opinion. So it's really important to not be incompetent when you're coaching football. All right, it's probably enough talk about Hugh Jackson, considering this is an Oklahoma football podcast. Grant, I know that you I I didn't share the rundown with you until about 10 minutes ago and I don't know if you had a chance to even look over or listen to my opening take yet about Jalen Redmond have you or have you not have you kind of skimmed what I wrote about that I have not I it's I'm going to be I'm going to be introduced uh, to the intro tomorrow morning along with everybody okay. else <laughs> See that's my fault that's my fault I, I mean, uh, I'm just I'm just busting your chops I don't really care it's fine I I No I, that's I mean I, I provided a lot of reasons why, basically, I don't think Jalen Redmond's going to play anymore. And so, ah, so you're just you know, you're just calling your shot, huh? Yeah, and I said last week, and I've said before that I just had a feeling he's not going to be healthy enough to play. And so you're just I kind of laid out more details of why I think that, and it's it's more than just a feeling. Now, it just I think the history of players and athletes with blood clots just are not very good, and. It's just the risk is just is not worth the potential reward of playing because the risk, if things go wrong, could end up in death. I mean, you can die from blood clots. Yeah, absolutely. Or blood clot. So you're basically, I don't know, you're 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 essentially you get you you have to be calling your shot right, saying that he's going to develop blood clots again over the summer, because otherwise, well, it's it's already happened. He's already yeah. You know, he was cleared and they that happened again. They came back. Uh, I go over in the opening take. A player right now on Tennessee's team, an offensive lineman, a potential first-round draft pick, was shut down midway through last year because they found blood clots, and it, it wasn't the first time he had blood clots. He missed all of spring practice last year, and so they came back for him as well, and I believe it's a blood clot in his lungs or a blo- m- multiple clots, which is that's, that's sounds so scary. That's quite a bit. That's quite a bit more serious. The blood clots in your lung, um, that is like actually the – uh, thing that you want to avoid. So I, I, I do know that is the case. But we'll see. I I still, you know, have to think, Lee, this is, they understand how serious that is. They would not clear him unless that they were sure that he would be okay. So that's why, you know, he, of, of, of course okay he can always pop come back. up. Yeah, if they come sure, back again. Sure, mm-hmm. but yeah, and uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. It's obviously scary, Um and I'm sure I, I I know I'm pretty sure the only treatment for that is just blood thinners. Um, I, I don't unless I unless they can like go in and operate on that. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not a doctor, so yeah. Um, it's but yeah, obviously a scary situation. We obviously hope that's not going to be the case. Um, you bring up some interesting points. Here's the thing, though, and this is obviously just important for his you know, in a human level, because you want him to be healthy, you want him to play, and he's in college playing football. I mean, he wants to do that, but, you know, there's that. But also, I mean, just in a, in a less serious matter, if you're looking on the football field, I mean, this is a guy, if healthy, Grant, he could be, along with, I think, Neville Gallimore and Ronnie Perkins, 
a player where we're incredibly excited about because a healthy Jalen Redmond can be put in the category of those two players about how they could be the keys to this defense being good or not good because of the position that we think he, he would play, which is that rush linebacker spot in Alex Grinch's system. I mean, that's a spot whenever he coached at Washington State, the defensive coordinator Grinch was, that that position, whoever was playing there, would consistently be in the top three on the team in sacks and tackles for loss. And the talent that Redmond has, the size, I mean, it, a healthy version of him would be so fun, I think, to watch in this defense. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean – just in the very, very limited snaps he played last year. I mean, he maybe played, what, like 25, 30 snaps last year? Played in three total games as a reserve role. And that's why yeah, I'm looking at his number. He had two and a half tackles for loss in very limited yep. action. I mean, imagine if he started and played the entire year. And and not only that, Lee, but as a freshman, looked like a man amongst boys out there. Like, you noticed him on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, obviously you're just you're just kind of hoping that his uh, the blood clot issues are in the past. Um, I do remember in the fall last year them them kind of saying maybe they they rushed him back a little too quickly from it. Um, now he's going to have a full off season, um, hopefully staying healthy. I, I think Lincoln Riley did say he's been working out right. So, um, so yeah, that's I suppose we didn't even bring that up really. Uh, I, I guess with my opening take, yeah, I mentioned that Riley Riley said that he said he's. They expect him to go be a full go this summer, no limitations, and uh, they'll continue to monitor him. So, I mean, but, so yeah. far, so good. I mean, it, that's positive news. It, sure. And, of course, working out is completely different than, you know, taking a pounding. He didn't do anything in, in the practice. spring contact-wise. He just worked out on the side, uh, meetings, things like good. that. But he didn't put the pads on. I mean, he didn't hit anybody. He didn't get hit. And that was all precautionary as far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm sure we'll get we'll get a lot more information as the summer goes on. Uh, the next time I'm assuming we get to talk to Lincoln Riley is going to be at big 12 media days in a month and a half. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions about him. Then they'll have a much clearer picture. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I still think it, the, the prognosis right now looks, looks positive, at least compared to where it was in the fall. So last week, Riley had some media availabilities with some of the beat reporters talked about that in the opening take. And then also we talked to Dean Blevins one-on-one. That was really nice of him to do that. We got a a cool interview that we ran on the blitz last week and you can see more of it this week. Uh, Anyways though. So that happened. Any other news that you noticed or that stuck out to you that came out of any of the Lincoln Riley availabilities last week that you were able to come across and read? Not that I recall the Jalen Redmond one was really the only uh, really, the only newsworthy one. I know he he made some comments about recruiting and what and whatnot. Um, you know, like we always say, we'll let the recruiting experts deal with that stuff. Um, and it really seems like that that's just been kind of the talk of the last couple weeks too. Is just is all the recruiting stuff, which you know this time of year is is typically how it is. Speaking of recruiting, I just will address a comment we had on our Facebook page before we recording from one of the listeners saying that we should immerse ourselves more into the recruiting world uh, you know because that's how Oklahoma's gonna you know win championships and and get to the likes and compete with Alabama and Clemson things like that uh, and also you know if we talk recruiting maybe we'll get more listeners things like that so I mean I appreciate the the heads up on that uh, what we've said before many times on this podcast is that's not our expertise 
Grant, I know you certainly do follow recruiting a, a lot. I mean, I follow it when I need to follow it. It's just a, it's a topic that doesn't particularly interest me that much really at all because these are high school kids that aren't on the team. And, and sure, whenever they got those five-star wide receivers and whenever they got you know five-star you know, Buki last year, that's noteworthy and that's interesting because I do understand that the key to winning national championships and being a relevant program and being a dominant program is obviously recruiting along with good coaching and whatnot. But this just isn't the podcast for that. There's podcasts out there that can discuss that stuff in much better detail than we can and give you more information. And um, so I just wanted to kind of address that comment. And again, I, I appreciate the heads up on that, but that that just isn't what this podcast is. And I don't want to talk about something that I'm not going to be able to provide the best knowledge of that because that's just not really my thing. I, I can talk about it in small doses here and there, but I just I don't think that's what this podcast is about. And if you're listening to this podcast, I think that you probably don't care that much about my thoughts on recruiting. If I bring it up, maybe you do a little bit, but ultimately this is about things other than that and the team currently on the field on campus at Oklahoma. I think that's, to me, that's the more interesting uh, part of college football is a team that's actually on campus and uh, kind of a long soliloquy there, but I just want to address that comment, Grant. I'll let you make any comments if you'd like. Yeah, and that isn't to say that we're not going to touch on like recruiting theory and whatnot. Uh, that would be more where I'm a lot more comfortable uh, talking. Um, I just think any if, 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 we, if we dove way too deep into the recruiting waters, all it would be is just, is just me regurgitating stuff that you can hear on other podcasts, the Sooner Scoop podcast and the like. Um, a lot of those other podcasts that talk recruiting, they are insiders. They have sources. They talk to these kids. Um, we don't. So uh, I, I think a lot of that stuff would, would really just be us giving our thoughts on tape. Um, I'll candidly say I, I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to, to watch a high schooler's tape and give an accurate judgment on it. There's just way too much variability there. Um, for instance, like I, I like to say, you know, Delarian Turner Yell has some of the best high school tape I've ever seen. Um, but what, he played in what, like class 2A in Texas or something like that? I mean, that's very, very small time football. Um, it's just it's really hard to gauge stuff like that, and so that's why I, I like to leave it to the to the experts. And that doesn't mean we won't touch on recruiting theory. Like I said, I, I do like that stuff because it is incredibly important. You're not going to win championships without recruiting, and so um, whenever you know, whenever I have thoughts on the matter, I'll, I'll certainly bring it up. Um, but you know, in, in the meantime, I, I suppose I, I I could try to familiarize myself with with scouting and whatnot and trying to you know find guys, but a lot of the time it really is going to be just me regurgitating what the other experts already say because they do it a lot better than I can, frankly. And what annoys me the most about recruiting, and and I haven't really evolved on this at all. This has kind of been my thoughts ever since I was a, a kid following college football and I found out recruiting was a thing. A lot of it is you're talking about a lot of these kids who can commit and then they also can decommit. You never know if they're actually going to stay with the program. You don't know if they're going to be on campus until they actually sign their letter of intent. And a lot of these players, no matter what their stars are, they might not even be that good or contributors. And to me, it just doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense to spend a lot of time talking about players who aren't on campus yet that may end up not even really contributing at all. It might be an afterthought, uh, with the exception of, obviously, the, the bigger-time guys. I mean, the five-star players, I mean, yeah, there's obviously going to be some busts here and there because we're all humans, but those are where the, the best players are going to come from. I mean, how many 
four-star players have we seen Oklahoma get in the secondary the last three, maybe four years, and yet the secondary is just struggling. I mean, they cannot cover anybody, it would seem like, and I think the best coverage player in the secondary is Trey Norwood, who I believe was a three-star recruit. So it's just it's so hit and miss, and to your point about how you're not comfortable breaking down high school tape and you know providing a star rating maybe for a recruit, I've talked to people who work in some of the recruiting websites or with them. And granted, everybody's different, but there's a lot of opinions out there that people, some people that work in there may not be able to <laughs> accurately break down film and provide accurate star ratings. And then, uh, you know, you see that and you see certain players that end up getting, you know, four or five stars and maybe they just aren't anything. And you kind of, you think, man, this is, it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, it's not easy to rate these kids. It would seem. And, and like you said, we're not qualified to do that. And I realize it's the summertime and there's we have all this time to talk about whatever and we're waiting for the season to begin. I think it's more interesting to talk about the upcoming season and the schedule and the current players on the roster than talking about who could sign or who Oklahoma could get on their team a year or two from now. I mean, that's just way into the future. I mean, I like to look to September and August because that's what really matters to me is – getting on the field and winning football games and winning a national championship for the first time since 2000. Yeah, I'll, I'll say one more thing on it. When, when we have unique insights on recruiting and on specific players that they're recruiting, we will, we will talk about it, absolutely. Um, but the main idea for this show always was to provide an alternative to those shows that do heavily talk about recruiting. Um, we wanted to stay in the lane of no matter what, we're always going to be talking about the product on the field. So that was that was always sort of the lane that we were trying to to get into, uh, just in case you know. Because I mean, what there's 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 a couple podcasts out there right now that are just are heavy on recruiting right now, and that's great. They do a good job of that. I I I I would recommend everyone go and listen to those. Um, but we want to stay directly with the guys on campus and what else is going on in college football. And, of course, we dip into the NFL a lot as well, um, just because that's what we're more comfortable talking about. And hopefully we provide um, a lane for, for people who, you know, who, who, feel, who feel similarly about that. I think that was very well said. And what we do here, what we're into, what we really enjoy is that on-field product and the nuances of the game of football. And that's what I'd like to think that we are able to provide maybe, uh, you know, I hate to say better than, but maybe an alternative to some of those other recruiting podcasts where they get into the season and maybe you're not going to get the same kind of in-depth on the field X's and O's football talk that, that from those podcasts that we hope to provide to you all here. And obviously I get that in the summertime when there's no games to talk about. Sure, maybe we're at a disadvantage, but that's whenever we – Try to be more creative. Think of topics that are fun. Think of it more of like a talk radio type setup. And that's on us to keep it interesting. And it takes time. And we like to put you know enough as much time into it as possible. But we also want to keep it as local as possible and as interesting as possible. And, and you know that's why we like to reach out to you that listen and say, hey, do you have any ideas? Let us know. We're going to be open to them. And if you think that something we did didn't work or is boring, let us know that too. Because there's nothing that I hate more than super lame, boring, generic sports talk radio, or in this case, sports talk radio podcast. I said radio podcast, sports talk podcast. Okay, yeah. Watch us, watch us just go deep into recruiting this summer now. Yeah, just watch it happen. Yeah, uh, something I think crazy would have to happen. 
Uh, the other, uh, well, that was a, a long sidebar. The you know, bringing up what Riley talked about. The only other piece of news, which isn't really news, but just we got Lincoln Riley on the record, and I know he said this to the beat media, and he also said this to Dean as well in his one-on-one interview. Basically, we got Riley on the record saying that he's not going to make a quarterback starting decision before fall camp. So the summer is still open. We have another quarterback competition grant that he'll be asked about at Big 12 media days, and I'm sure people there that don't follow Oklahoma that closely will probably all assume that Jalen Hurts is the starter, and they'll probably ask Lincoln Riley questions about, so Jalen Hurts, him coming in, blah, 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 and then Lincoln Riley will make sure to always kind of steer his answers back to Tanner Mordecai and then also the incoming Spencer Rattler, and you know that's the way he'll play it. We kind of know that. He did that last year with Kendall and Murray. But, uh, Grant, it's happening again. We're going to get it. It's just something that we have to just deal with. And I, I get it. I understand why Lincoln Riley does this. That doesn't mean that we actually have to believe every single word he says about a real competition. But you know what? Uh, I think a lot of it – I'll ask you this question. I'll, like, you, I'll give you – you give your thoughts on this. But also, how much of this do you think – is trying to, one, be fair to Tanner Mordecai and respectful, and also to try to avoid Tanner Mordecai entering his name in the transfer portal because if he, let's say, names Jalen Hurts the starter June 1st, maybe Tanner Mordecai says, you know what, Spencer Rattler's coming in, Jalen Hurts has already been named the starter, maybe I want to get out of here. Um, is there any, any oh, of that that you would buy know. into? I suppose I, I could theoretically buy it. It might have it might have a little bit to do with it, but I I don't I, I think it I think it really has more to do with with this what we talked about last year with Lincoln Riley trying to just he, he wants to have that culture, the competitive culture that everything is always a battle and a competition, which I understand. That's how Pete Carroll at USC used to do it with every position. Um and, and I can understand why he would do it in this situation. Although you know, my inner monologue, I I don't know if there's a fart noise loud enough for, for me to make in that situation. Um, this, there, this, there is no competition. Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback. This was, this was set in stone as soon as, as the news broke that he was transferring here. There was no one was going to start at quarterback other than Jalen Hurts, barring some sort of catastrophic injury. Um, as far as Mordecai entering the transfer portal, I, I would, I would strongly, you know, if, if that is part of this, I would strongly advise him not to do that. Um, Tanner Mordecai is going to be given every opportunity to win the job in 2020. And I don't think that's, and if that's going to be his third year in the system, it's, it's not at all ridiculous to think that Tanner Mordecai is, is capable of, of beating out Spencer Rattler. It's just, it's not. So, um, I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. We're, we're not, we're not in the, you know, in the quarterback rooms, we're not on the team, so we don't know for sure, but, um, yeah, that's a good point. I, know. I, 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 I would hate, I would hate to think that that is his reasoning. It's just it, in this era now of the transfer portal where anybody can put their name in there and, and you know, quarterbacks always, it seems like, I mean, obviously it's the most important position on the field in sports. They want to play. They don't want to sit. But Tanner Mordecai comes off to me as somebody who is incredibly team first. And I'm sure a lot of the guys on Oklahoma are that way as well. But just the, the once, or one or two times you've heard him talk, back in spring ball I mean he is just all about the team and so I mean he's going to compete with Jalen Hurts and and yeah I mean he's going to want to try to win that job next year uh, so I guess my point being is that he's so into the team that maybe he isn't even thinking about even if a starter was named 
next week, you know, who's to say Mordecai would even be thinking that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get out of here because yeah, I don't. Yeah, know. and I, Jalen Hurts is a guy who who got hurt and missed like four games last year. wasn't available. He was banged up at the end of his sophomore season. Um, it would be it'd be foolish for Tanner Mordecai, I think, in that situation to to think of transferring. He's he he's got a pretty good chance of playing this year. Like I, I don't. Uh, Jalen Hurts is is going to take a pounding at times this year, so um, it, it would certainly be nice to have a guy who is who is not a true freshman uh, backing him up. And so, but you know, this is I I think we're all just kind of exhausted on this just because because last um, last summer the the quote unquote competition was so obnoxious, um, especially after what transpired during the season. There is no freaking way. Austin Kendall was ever close to Kyler Murray. There is nothing anyone could say that would ever convince me otherwise. <laughs> and I know, and I know, a lot of the players came out and said, "No, it was a competition. It was a competition." That to me is just more evidence that Lincoln Riley coaches these guys to talk to the media. Uh, because I'm sorry, but no, there was no competition last summer whatsoever. Kyler Murray had that job locked up. Uh, it wasn't even close. The guy was the Heisman Trophy winner and had the best season ever for a quarterback. Guy's a, the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. There was no competition last year. Okay, that wraps up that portion of the show. Let's move on over to our early look at the week one opponent for Oklahoma, the Houston Cougars, on September the 1st. But really fast, we always like to remind you that we have a West of Evers Facebook page that you can like. If you like that page, you would have seen my opening take live on Tuesday evening. I did that for the first time in a long time. Uh, just felt like bringing it back for the Jalen Redmond take, although you, uh, you kind of opened my eyes to, uh, you know, again, I, I guess it hasn't been officially reported, but it would be great if the rumors are true and, and his blood clots are, are more like his leg or maybe his arm and not necessarily like in the middle portion of his body because those are, from my brief reading, those are way worse. Uh, anyways, that was available on the West of Evers Facebook page. Like the page and see more of those later if we have more. Also, you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes if you'd like. We had a couple more ratings and reviews that came in after last week's episode, so thank you for those. You all know the drill. If you've done this before, we appreciate your support. And uh, it's going to be a long summer, but we hope to be here with you throughout the entirety of the summer. All right, Grant, so let's move on to Oklahoma-Houston. I was looking back at last year's podcasts and how we did this was we looked at the upcoming opponents. We just kind of went over Oklahoma's schedule. And I guess what we did, Grant, was we did the first six opponents in one episode. And then the next episode, we did the final six opponents. And so we kind of briefly touched on each game. Maybe, you know, some games took more time than others. We talked about probably FAU for 10, 15 minutes. You know, when we got to Kansas, I'm sure we did them for only a couple minutes and maybe... But this time, we're just going to focus on Houston, and next week, we're going to go maybe a couple games here and there, so we'll just see how it goes. So a little bit more time on Oklahoma's first opponent, the Houston Cougars, and I have a question to start us off. When I say OU opens the season September 1st at home against Houston, what is the first thing that comes to mind to you, Grant? I'm mostly, honestly, the first, it's that, it's that game from three years ago. I'm still upset about that game. That game sucked. That was one of the, that was, uh, Houston's performance in that game was, was one of the flukiest performances I've ever seen in a game. Um, <laughs> that, that's what I think of. That's actually uh, just, the, that's the same thing I think of. 
I think of the game. From yeah, that, that, was, that game was that was one of the bigger flukes uh, of an OU loss I've I've seen in my entire fandom. I remember not being able to watch that game very closely because I was working. I was in College Station at Kyle Field for Texas A&M season opener that year's against UCLA, and I got to see Josh Rosen play in person, which was kind of cool. So I didn't. I remember the kick six disaster, and I didn't see it live because of where I was and I was doing other things. And I saw people that, you know, people were walking around the media room saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what just happened in that game. And so I had to go on Twitter and I think I got to ESPN.com. And so I watched it back. And, yeah, it was uh, so that was a whole thing. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of things have changed and things are different from, you know, between each school now. But, uh, yeah, I I think it's kind of interesting that both of us think of that game when we think of Houston, we don't think of the fact, oh, hey, the game's on Sunday now, or hey, you know, Ed Oliver, even though he was a big part of that game in 2016. Yeah, and that's not to say, that's not to say Houston, you know, didn't deserve to win. They, they did deserve to win. It's just their, their performance in that game was their season. That, that was their season. Um, and I don't, that's about as close in a game of football as you can get to getting beat by a single player. Uh OU pretty much lost to Ed Oliver in that game, and also uh, just it was it was frustrating. Houston was in third and long pretty much all game, and Greg Ward was making NFL throws like NFL back shoulder throws that were indefensible to like to convert like third and fifteens like consistently. It was just a stupid game. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about the opponent here, and uh, tons of storylines Oklahoma wise. The main one obviously will be Jalen Hurts' debut. We assume. We assume he'll be the starting quarterback. Um, not official yet. But on the other side of the football, Grant, Houston's got a pretty darn good quarterback. His name is Derek King. And he's one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, believe it or not. And I didn't know a whole lot about him until doing research on this. But, man, he is uh, a darn good player. I'll open it up to you first. Derek King, would you agree that he is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation coming back in 2019? Yeah, and then uh, really until the last couple of days when I've been watching when I've been you know watching Houston games or you know lightly from last season, um, I have my first hot take of the 2019 season, Lee. And that is Derek King. It, Derek King's the best quarterback on OU schedule this upcoming season. He's very good. He is at I, I he's he's at worst a an equal thrower of the football to Sam Ellinger, and he is a much better runner like by an order of magnitude yeah yeah he's an elite runner and I'll qualify that as elite runner as a quarterback but I tend to think that let's say if he was a running back or a wide receiver he also would probably be incredibly elite with the football because he just looks that way when he takes off very fast smooth certainly knows what he's doing with the ball he had 110 or 111 attempts last year and he missed the last two and a half games of the season due to an injury. So if he would have played a full schedule in a bowl game like Kyler Murray did, he probably would have had about the same amount of rushing attempts as Kyler Murray had a season ago. And, and he ran for, I think, something like 14 touchdowns or something like that rushing. Lee, he had 50 touchdowns in 10 and a half games. Okay, yeah. yeah. 50. He had five a game. <laughs> Combined, total, um, rushing and, also, and, and passing. But yeah. Yep, and then so he... Uh, I think he ended up, he ran for like 600 some odd yards officially, but he ran for 750 non-sack yards, which I think is a much better way to gauge a quarterback's running ability. Uh, you take out all the yards that he lost in sacks. He had 748 yards at 7.7 yards per pop and the, the aforementioned 14 touchdowns. 
Um, and it, it's not just his running. He threw for 3,000 yards, and he had 36 touchdowns and only six picks. Very good. Um, he's and he's got he's got he's got three really good receivers to throw to as well. Um, so actually, I was this is a game that after looking into it a little more uh, has my attention very very much more so than, than it did uh, a few months ago. That's for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. They have all three of their top wide receivers returning in 2019 including the top one Marquez Stevenson who was over a thousand yards had a bunch of touchdowns you said uh you know you said before this podcast off the air to me that he'll be playing in the NFL one day which he the last year like was kind of his main breakout year he's got another year left you know another good season yeah maybe he will he's a very explosive player he's fast uh by the way although no, my never mind I, I was gonna go kind of like a random by the way but I'll maybe I'll save it for later go ahead I was going to say his his first two seasons in college were mired by injuries. Oh, okay. Uh, so his junior year was the first year he was fully healthy, and uh, seventy five catches, a thousand nineteen yards, nine touchdowns. Pretty explosive guy. I mean, there were uh, you just go look at highlights. There's a lot of a lot of plays where he's he's making plays down the field, and uh, the other the other two guys are not the other two seniors. They're not. I mean, they're they're not terrible either. They they combined together for about let's see, do some math here about 1200 yards and 15 touchdowns between the two of them uh that's significant so um and they're also they're big guys too they go six foot six one six two um which could pose some problems for the Sooners I mean frankly they have a small secondary let's quickly go back and maybe not quickly but let's go back to Derek King though because you had an incredibly hot take five minutes ago that we didn't really explore anymore that he's going to be the best quarterback Oklahoma faces all year. And so looking at the Sooners... In the preseason. In the preseason as well. well I mean, Elling, Ellinger could have an amazing yeah, season, no. but... I mean, it's a defensible position. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to... I'm looking at Oklahoma's roster. So who would be the quarterbacks that were competing against King as best receiver? You mentioned Sam Ellinger. Obviously, a lot of people are going to probably buy Heisman future tickets on Ellinger because... He had a very strong finish to 2018, and of course the Sugar Bowl, they beat Georgia. Looking at Oklahoma's roster, I'd say the only other quarterback that could compare or could be in the discussion is Brock Purdy at Iowa State. Going into his second year, his first full-time year as a starter, he was really good. OU didn't face him last year, fortunately, but he was really good for Iowa State in the latter portion of the year whenever he was starting, with the exception of maybe one game. I think against Texas, he didn't play very well. But uh, other than that, I mean, West Virginia doesn't have Will Greer anymore. Uh, Alan Bowman, I think, is back for Texas Tech. He's a good player, but uh, eh, he didn't he didn't really impress me that much last year. I thought he was pretty overrated. Um, the other the guy that I would put behind uh, King Ellinger and Purdy is probably Charlie Brewer at Baylor. Hmm. Um, and then maybe I mean, geez, yeah, I, I would pro- I would certainly put Charlie Brewer there. And then maybe after that, I'd probably go to. Jeez, I don't even know. Wow. What a down year for quarterbacks in the Big 12, or at least we know so far. Well, Oklahoma plays UCLA again, and what do they'll have? What, is it Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Yeah. That's who he is, right? And so he um, played he, last year against the Sooners as a true freshman. Out, yeah, outside of two just a really great throws he made in that game, he was largely just horrendous. Um, so I, I suppose after Brewer, you'd have to put Bowman, right? It'd, have to, it'd be a... It'd be a a toss-up like between Bowman and, it's a good thing and, and Bowman. Kansas State's guy? I like Bowman. I think it's a good thing Bowman... I mean, it sucks that for Bowman that he was injured the way he was in that game against Oklahoma. What was it, collapsed long or something? Or 
again, he, he re-aggravated it. Yeah. But, I mean, he that yeah. was good for Oklahoma's chances of winning that game, though, because, I mean, he he was dude's got a freaking water pistol for but he was yeah he's 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 nothing but a distributor yeah but i mean he was distributing all around the secondary against oklahoma's bad defense and i i i question his effectiveness um with with cliff kingsbury not being his oc sure that's fair and then oklahoma state their quarterback is going to be spencer sanders or drew brown yeah, we we just don't know who it's going to be yet, so I don't think we can definitively say. Right, and you know, TCU, I'm, I couldn't even tell you who their quarterback's going to be this season. I know they went through a bunch of them last year. They were very injured. Could a be Alex ago. Delton. So I know oh, if yeah. it ends up being Alex Delton, that's, right. that's, that's just not something I'm going to lose any sleep over <laughs> at all. <laughs> I just I can't get enough of the Alex uh, poor guy. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of go over the the schedule. So it's not a crazy contention that Derek King will end up being the best quarterback OU has faced in 2019. Although. <laughs> Going back to 2018, the summer of 2018, and making predictions of Oklahoma's first opponent, there was a lot of FAU is going to be one of the best teams Oklahoma plays, and that didn't turn out very good. So hopefully, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that'd be a good thing or a bad thing if he's the best quarterback Oklahoma faces all year. It depends on if, if OU wins, I suppose. I mean, it also depends on, you know, where they go. But, like, in, in the Big 12, his Derek King's only equal in the Big 12 is Sam Ellinger. Uh, that's and maybe Brock Purdy if he if he takes a big step in his sophomore season, but um, we'll see. He's not, he doesn't have a Keem Butler anymore. True, true. Just you were talking a little bit about Derek King, kind of what he does well, what stood out on tape a little bit. I again haven't done a, a huge deep dive into his film, but I mean a lot of things stand out to me watching him on tape. He seems very comfortable throwing from the pocket. Saw a lot of plays where he was beginning to feel some pressure in that pocket. He, he stayed in there. He didn't panic. He was able to slip away from some sacks inside the pocket and deliver some throws. He does look to throw, I think, as opposed to his first read being taken away and then panicking and looking to run. He looks to throw. He wants to, to complete that pass, and then if he absolutely has to run, he does. And, he, again, he's an elite runner of the football. He's very fast. Completion percentage, 63.5%, which was you know good, not great for a college player, but then you look more into the stats – and King throws the football down the field. He stretches the field 8.6 yards per attempt, which is very good. And compare that, Grant, again, I know we're going to pile on real quickly again, but compare that to Daniel Jones, his yards per attempt at Duke last year was 6.6. So dude didn't throw the ball down the field, and dude only completed like 60% of his passes or 59% of his passes. Derek King threw the ball down the field, averaged – a full two yards more per attempt and completed 63.5% of his passes. So just a sidebar quick, just Daniel Jones is just not a particularly great or good quarterback. Um, and just the last thing, Grant, he did he displayed accuracy from the pocket on the run. He's just he's an impressive player. And he's good. Yeah. He's really good. Um the one thing I, I will point out is that he was playing in the Kendall Bryles system, uh, which is very, very quarterback friendly. So I'm not sure. Uh, how that inflated his stats and whatnot, but I mean, you can say the same thing about Dana Holgerson's system, which is very quarterback friendly as well. Um, my one of my big questions, Lee, was how was Dana Holgerson going to adapt to kind of the personnel that Houston had, and I just sort of assumed that Houston's personnel was going to be similar to uh, what Tom Herman had when he was there, just because you know being left over from what he recruited. Um, but from what I saw, Dana Holgerson's going to be able to run his West Virginia offense at Houston. Ooh, well, 
That's not good for opposing defenses. I mean, he's got. I, I don't like. I don't even think it's that hot of a take to say that uh, the you know King plus his three receivers is every bit as formidable as Will Greer and Gary Jennings and David Sills last year. I, I think that they might be comparable uh, passing attacks. Well, I think when you think of it in terms of Houston playing in a different conference outside the Big Twelve, that's not as good as the Big Twelve. I think that's an argument that certainly does have merit. Sure. Sure. Not that the Big 12's defenses are great or anything like that, because we all know they're they're not. I mean, they're they're not as bad as everyone thinks they are, considering the offenses in the Big 12 are really good. And I think the bowl season kind of shows that the Big 12's defenses are are not not good, but not atrocious, because there can be some stops made. I think Big 12 defenses are arguably the best coordinated defenses, um, just because they have to be. They've had to adapt. Um, yeah. But in terms of talent and the and the NFL bodies are putting on the field, no, I mean the Big Twelve can't really stack up. I mean even really against the Big Ten. Um, but you know from a from an X's and O standpoint, the Big Twelve is 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 what is driving innovation in college football defense right now. So we've talked about the offense a little bit. No need to get too in depth because we'll have plenty of time leading up to this game to get more in depth on the personnel and who else is there for. Houston I guess just real quick Houston's offensive line they're strong at both tackle positions they have their returning tackles back but center is going to be brand new they're they're graduating a, a four-year starter at center but a veteran player is going to move from guard over to center from what I read uh, so the offensive line for Houston is going to be really young at the guard positions but uh, it's not going to be decimated by any stretch of the imagination and and real quick too and and if you have any more in the offense let me know but they do have their leading rusher back as well named Patrick Carr he was at 800 900 something yards rushing five touchdowns so uh you know 868 yards 68 five 5.7 average Lee he only caught two passes last year so does not seem to be much of a threat out of the backfield to catch passes Hmm. so that's all I have on the Houston offense which is going to be very good it's going to be a really good offense. Uh, by the way, real quick, Derek King, he missed the last two and a half games of the year with a torn meniscus in his right knee. In the spring, he no contact in the spring, but he said his knee feels great, so he's expected to be to be fine for the upcoming season. Oh, and I almost forgot. There's just one note that I read from the Houston Chronicle had a note, and this is probably part of a Dana Holgerson press conference, but get this, Grant. So... Dana Holgerson said that they've shown Derek King a three-minute cut-up video of Kyler Murray with the intention of showing King on tape how to protect himself while playing quarterback, and that's because Holgerson said that he thinks Murray is the best he's ever seen at not getting hit. So I agree, Dana. Yeah, I agree. So that's pretty. Um, that's pretty high praise. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Kyler Murray is freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Um, let's see here. Yeah, you, you brought up there too. Yeah, so they they lost. Yeah, they're losing a, a starting guard and center who had a combined sixty nine starts in their career. Actually, Lee, um, yep. my I, I put a little note there. I I said that that could mean that Gallimore could eat them up inside. Well, they're moving um, one of their other guards over to play center that has started yeah, like thirty games in his career. Man, I you know I don't know if that is that that might not be totally seamless. I mean that's still a there's still a learning curve there if he's never played center before. Yes, we'll see. Um it's different. But yeah, I mean of course that, that'll probably give him a little more confidence in that regard. So uh but yeah, I mean they, they still have three guys back on the offensive line with a combined eighty one career starts. So they are experienced relatively speaking up front. Uh this is this is 
this is going to be one of the best offenses they face all season. Probably one of the two or three best they they play this year. Um, and so, I mean, just an enormous first challenge for Alex Grinch in that defense. Um, getting absolutely shredded, Lee, is a real possibility, if not likely. <sighs> yeah, that's... Well, you know what? At least it won't be like last season whenever FAU's offense and the team was clearly overmatched and we had some un, uh, unearned expectations following week one about the Oklahoma defense. <laughs> like, oh, they might actually be pretty good this year. No. And so just to, just to throw it out there, I'll, I'll have uh, just my, my S&P numbers for offense. They uh, Based on returning production, uh, Houston in, in the preseason ha- is 11th in uh, S&P offense. So that is that is very significant and very good. So um, it's going to be a challenge right from the get-go. How about that Houston defense? It was absolutely terrible in 20, 2018, despite having maybe the best defensive player in college football on the team, and not the entire year. Ed Oliver was in and out of the lineup with some injuries. Grant, this is a defense in 2019 that has a very real possibility of being atrocious yet again. So I'll open the floor up to you on the, the defensive side of the ball. What stands out to you on, on that side of the ball? I got some notes on the defense too, but I'll let you start. Well, Lee, as, as much of a challenge as their offense is going to be to go up against, uh, their defense in 2019 has a chance to be aggressively terrible. <laughs> like, aggressively. Um, oh, man. They just, uh, so after uh, Ed Oliver got hurt, I believe, in their ninth, ninth game last season, and Lee, after Ed Oliver got hurt, they might they may have been the worst defense in college football last year, and they and they 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 lose a lot of experience as well, um, especially in the secondary. They don't have a lot of exp- they 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 return both of their starting safeties, but they graduated like their top four corners and their starting nickelback. Uh, that does not bode well for them going up against Ceedee Lamb and Grant Calcaterra and the like. Um, as like I said, as much of a challenge as their offense is going to be to face. Uh, OU has may have an opportunity here to name their score, put up whatever amount of points they want in this game. Yeah, Houston's pass defense was historically bad last year, allowing the second most pass yards in school history. However, Houston's pass defense still wasn't as bad statistically as Oklahoma's pass defense, Grant, because OU was they, dead last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's uh, not uh, Houston was does one, not bode well. Houston was one twenty fourth in the nation. You know, here's the thing, though. I mean, Daniel Horgerson, he did this at West Virginia, too, I believe, as well. He's bringing in some JUCO guys, and he hopes that these guys are going to help shore up the secondary and all uh, other positions throughout the team, and, you know, we'll see if that works or not. Uh, I know the secondary, you mentioned, uh, is not not great. Linebackers, I mean, they're losing their top two tacklers on their entire team, and they're both linebackers. They're both gone. Also, their third linebacker is gone to graduation as well, so that line of the defense is going to be incredibly inexperienced and as you mentioned a moment ago I mean the first game they're going to be playing a lot of these guys are going to be playing their first game or starting maybe their second game in college and it's going up against Oklahoma's offense and Lincoln Riley so I mean it's a it's a run defense that was ranked 115th in the nation so this is a bad defense and yeah I I would tend to agree I mean it it's at least for Jalen Hurts we think he's going to be starting that first game. Hopefully, you know, it looks like it's not going to be too tough of a matchup for him to kind of get his feet wet and get the juices flowing in his first start at Oklahoma. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so and so, yeah. They they do have a new defensive coordinator as well, uh, Joe Cawthon, mm-hmm. uh, who previously was at Arkansas State. And so uh, Arkansas State, Leah did a little research. They they were a chaos defense, so they are a defense that tries to create tackles for loss. So uh, presumably that you know that is what Houston will do as well. Um, so of course that can always you know throw a wrench in in an offense's plans or get them off schedule and whatnot. Um, however, I think we've seen especially in the last two seasons, that when Oklahoma goes up against an overly aggressive defense, they have no problem whatsoever a large part of the time. So uh, being overly aggressive and trying to shoot gaps against Oklahoma is maybe not the smartest, uh, the smartest way to attack them. So this is a game in which, in which Oklahoma m- may look to be just as effective as they were against FAU last year. It, it might be ugly in that regard. Yeah, I'm not sure with the over-under is for this game i don't think it's out yet but whenever they do post it at some point it's going to be incredibly high that number is going to be very very high Um, and it's 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 one of those it's going to be definitely one of those games where houston's best shot of winning is going to be to hold on to the ball a lot of the time um you know which is not really in their dna they were the in terms of tempo lee they were the second fastest team in the country last year in terms of tempo holgerson likes likes being up tempo he likes to score quickly it's a quick a quick strike offense they were they were top 10 in the country last year in iso ppp which is just measures the explosiveness of your successful plays so they're a really explosive offense so, Lee, if, if Houston is having success on offense, that means they're probably going to be giving it right back to OU really quickly, which generally, I mean, it just spells trouble for opposing defenses, obviously. How much stock do you put in to Dana Holgerson coaching in this game? It's just, it'll be his first game as head coach at Houston, obviously with plenty of experience coaching against Oklahoma. If Major Applewhite was still the coach there, would you – be more or less confident in Oklahoma's chances in this game or, or I, yeah there you go that answer that question <laughs> I well I'd be more confident if Major Applewhite was the coach I'm I'm still confident in the game even with Dana Holgerson sure, sure. Uh, but I mean yeah Dana Holgerson is is absolutely a better coach than than Major Applewhite and I thought I thought this was a this was a real savvy move I thought for Holgerson this is uh, being in Houston certainly has the capability of being a better situation than being at West Virginia. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he could recruit better in Houston, potentially, considering he's in much this better massive base. city. And, yep, much, mm-hmm. much better recruiting base. All right, so that's the look of the defense. It's it's not looking good. Uh, got I got I got some other things here. Oh, I, just, okay. I just wanted to throw this out Go here. Go for it. Um, just go back to S&P overall. And, and a lot of the S&P stats are not fully fleshed out because it's all preseason. But based on returning production, you know, what they have coming back, uh, Bill Connolly's S&P system has them ranked 118th uh, in defensive S&P coming into the season. That is very, very bad. Um, so let's see here. What else they got here? Um, I guess, you know, they do have some returning production up front. Um they had a defensive end, Isaiah Chambers, who had six tackles for loss and four and a half sacks in the first five games last year before he tore his ACL. So he'll presumably be back. Um, you know, four and a half sacks in five games is not necessarily anything to sneeze at. Um, so he is somebody who, in an aggressive scheme, could cause some problems. But like I said, he's coming off a torn ACL. Um, they have an outside linebacker, David Anani. Um, who who had four sacks last season? He just based on his numbers, he looks like to just be kind of a one trick, just pass rusher. It looks like 
Um, so there's you know guys that do have some experience and some experience of success at the college level. And like I, I previously mentioned, they do return their two starting safeties. Gleason Sprewell, which is certainly a nominee for the all-name team, <laughs> and, uh, and Deontay Anderson, who is a former blue chipper from Ole Miss. Okay. So, uh, but and then, like I said, literally no returning production at 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 corner at all. No, nobody coming back who has any coverage experience in college. All right. Well, yeah, I don't have any more notes on the defense. Very well done. Way to go in depth there. It certainly makes sense that Holgerson brought in Joe Cawthon from Arkansas State, who has a super aggressive style of defense, because it seemed like that's what his style was at West Virginia. Who is the defensive coordinator there? Is it? Bennett or no Tony Gibson Gib- is it G- Tony Gibson okay yeah I I was thinking Tony Bennett it's like that's you're thinking of the the UVA head yeah, basketball coach yeah, exactly uh, so yeah it would make sense I guess they're going to switch from a three-man front to a four-man front with the hopes of being a better team stopping the run in 2019 so take that for what that's worth you had a good idea for us to you know during this these segments where we're talking about the upcoming opponents how can we kind of spice this up a bit, make this more interesting? You said, hey, if you know, maybe we'll do if you could pick one player from the opposing team's roster that you wish played for Oklahoma, who would you pick? And so that's a good idea. Let's do that here with Houston. It sounds like you have maybe more than one. Would you like me to go first? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I want you to go. first. All right. So this one, I thought, OK, you look at their offense and they got a lot of talent on offense. And you think, man, maybe one of these guys would look good in the a crimson and cream uniform, but then I thought more of like, well, I'm, Oklahoma's offense is pretty much stacked, and yeah, I mean, I guess maybe you could argue, hey, Derek King or Jalen Hurts, but you know, Jalen Hurts hasn't played in the Lincoln Riley system. He's a incredibly experienced quarterback. He's a good quarterback. I I'm comfortable with Jalen Hurts there. I, I want to see him there. Go to Marquez Stevenson, great player. But then you look at Oklahoma's wide receivers and. I mean, they might have the best wide receiver core in the nation. I know there's a lot of inexperience there, but the plenty of five stars plus throwing CD, obviously CD Lamb and Calcaterra, very, very good, and the like. Maybe offensive line, there's a couple tackles that are experienced at Oklahoma, you know, obviously trying to replace some offensive linemen. But you know what? I trust Bill Biedenboe, and I think he'll be able to, to find guys to make the offensive line just fine. So... Then you go over to the defensive side of the ball, and let's be honest, both teams have below average to bad defenses, and I'm not sure if I want anybody from Houston's defense. So I'm in a predicament here. Well, here's what I'm going to go with, Grant. How about Houston kicker Dalton Witherspoon? He was perfect on extra points last season. He made seven of his nine field goal attempts, long of 44. Numbers aren't special, but... He's got nearly one full season of college kicking experience, unlike any of the guys in Oklahoma's roster who will be kicking this upcoming fall. Gabe Burkich seems to be the favorite to win the kicking duties for Oklahoma. Maybe he's going to be really good this year. Hopefully he is. But as of right now, I know Witherspoon can make extra points in college. He's never missed one. And maybe he's able to also kick some Oklahoma low pressure, winning by a lot field goals. So as of right now in late May, I'm going to take Dalton Witherspoon from Houston's roster, the kicker. It's pretty cheeky, pretty cheeky. <laughs> Who do you got? Uh, well, I'm gonna. So uh, the real answer is is the receiver Marquez Stevenson. I mean, that's that's the obvious answer. Um, you just go ahead and put him at the Z position. Uh, that 
a lot of a lot of people think Charleston Rambo is going to occupy put that guy there and and you know that him and him and CD Lamb would be an incredibly formidable duo there. Um, but also, Lee, if you told me that oh, if if OU if they plugged in Derek King and he was going to give you what he gave Houston last year, I can automatically say that OU is going to win the Big Twelve and go to the College Football Playoff. So it's hard for me not to pick Derek King also. Just just knowing because we haven't seen Jalen Hurts yet mm-hmm. in Lincoln Riley's offensive system. Um I I I I I think that highly of Derek King after watching him. He's he's very very good. He's very very good. That's true. But also I think the upside potential with Jalen Hurts is the same as Derek King or and probably better. Be the first year he's not playing in the SEC. He's facing Big 12 defenses in a, a more up-tempo, air-ride, Lincoln-Riley-style offense. Jalen Hurts is an incredible athlete. He's fast. He may not be as fast as Derek King, but, I mean, he's uh, – Lincoln-Riley told Dean the other day, I mean, Jalen Hurts is a 4-5-40 type guy, and we know how athletic he is, and, and one of his main attributes and, and, and skill sets will be when he's able to tuck the football and run for Oklahoma, especially if teams aren't expecting it. So uh, I think – Jalen Hurts is again his potential is just so much so off the charts in this offense that I'm still comfortable with him there as opposed to uh, Derek King who just has one year of starting experience under his belt. Yeah, that's why I had to put the qualifier there. Sure, that's why I like it. But yeah, I mean the like I said, the real answer is is the receiver Mar- Mar- Marco Stevenson just because he he is yeah, he's the answer. one guy you can he's the one guy you can just plug in there and I know he would he'd have a really good season. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good answer especially considering that spot for Oklahoma is wide open. And it just the question is which super talented five-star or Charleston Rambo will, will take that spot. Grant, last I saw the line for this game, you know, there's some game of the year odds that come out in the summertime. And, uh, you know, some of the more look forward to college football games, they put lines up pretty early. I saw that Oklahoma 13 and a half point favorite. So almost a two touchdown favorite. So as of now, in late May, are you more confident of Oklahoma covering that spread, or would you lean more towards, man, that's a lot of points with this Houston offense that's really good. Would you, would you lean more towards taking the points at this stage of the year? No, I'd, I'd pick OU to cover that. Yeah, I mean, this is what we could do. It's kind of the way we can end this discussion is our thoughts right now. And I was trying to kick around ideas of like, oh, should we have a, a, a gimmicky type thing of upset meter? You know, what are the chances on a scale of one to 10 Oklahoma gets upset? Or, you know, I guess this would work because they're almost a two touchdown favorite. I don't know. I mean, it's so early. I, I mean, the fact that Houston's offense is going to be really, really good. I mean, there's certainly some some chances there. I mean, because Oklahoma's defense, we don't know if it's going to be good or not. Um but I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that, that gimmicky meter because I'm not sure. And I haven't really formulated an opinion yet. I'd lean more towards Houston covering that, though, right now. I mean, I think they're going to be a lot more formidable, and this isn't going out on a limb, than FAU was last year. Uh, I figured Oklahoma would cover over FAU, mainly because of the talent discrepancy. But, man. I, I mean, I would uh, hope so. OU won by eight touchdowns yeah. last year uh, over Florida Actually, Atlanta. no. I mean, that wasn't. You know, OU, yeah, OU should cover that. They, they should. I mean, that's actually – I got to think that that line has been bet down, I would guess. It probably started I think higher that's, than I that. I think that's what it opened at because I, really? I got it from a website that hadn't even updated the game to be on Sunday. 
September 1st and still have the game as August 31st. And I couldn't find a more updated line. So. Yeah, because, I mean, this is this is one of those games where it's like Houston's defense might be so bad you have to see it to believe it. It's it's like one of those things. <laughs> so, um, like, and, and that's that just does not bode well for anybody going up against Oklahoma at night on a Sunday night and nas- on national TV uh, when they're the only game going on. The crowd is going to be as 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 raucous as as we've seen in a long time I would assume um I mean that this this is going to be a really difficult environment for Houston to go into uh and they and they're and they're coming into town with a with a horrendous defense Mm -hmm. so I mean that's just it doesn't bode particularly well for them I mean Houston Houston could still go up and down the field and lose by three or four touchdowns in this game all right well that's all I have on Houston. I, I think we, you know, we covered it. I mean, we talked about him for, geez, that was like, was that 30-minute discussion on Houston? I didn't think we'd go that long, but yeah, I think it was, like 25, 30 minutes. They're an interesting, you know what, Houston is actually, this This may have given us a little bit of a different, you know, look, because Houston is it is really one of the more interesting teams that OU is going to be playing mm-hmm. this upcoming year. So I, I think, you know, like for instance, next week, I, I don't think we're going to be able to go 30 minutes on South Dakota. Oh, yeah, it's South Dakota, not South Dakota State. Yeah. So, yeah, I think next yeah. week maybe we'll do South Dakota and uh, and UCLA. We'll do them maybe back-to-back in the same same podcast because, yeah, and South then, Dakota, we might not even – I mean, we'll just briefly touch on them. I mean, because they're yeah, an FCS and you know, and, team. And, and so – and just moving on to the schedule too, I mean, Texas Tech, how much are we going to know about Texas Tech with their new uh, – with Matt Wells there now? I mean, they're I, – I don't – their offense is, is probably going to look quite a bit different. It's you know, I'm sh- it's still going to be kind of a variation of the air raid, but it's not going to be the Cliff Kingsbury air raid. Um, then after that, it's Kansas, and you know, of course, Les Miles is there now. But how much do we know about Kansas? And of course, we'll, we'll be able to talk about Texas for a while. But um, yeah, you know, Houston's a really interesting team, and and obviously Holgerson being there makes them slightly familiar as well. So so they have that going for them. So, yeah, next week we'll do South Dakota. I mean, this is a team that went into Manhattan in week one last year and almost knocked off mighty Kansas State. <laughs> Remember that? I do, but... Uh, Boy, and they South Dakota finished 4-7 and seven last year in the FCS. Oh, God. And almost oh, beat man. Kansas State. I mean, Kansas State was just so bad last year. Just that, yeah, that was one of the more talentless Kansas State teams I've ever seen and that's a, a team that can go nine and three with not a lot of talent so um man oh my goodness yeah this is I I, I remember uh back in back in 2009 um that after OU lost to BYU to open the season and uh the, the next game they were playing kind of an FCS team and they just lost to BYU and Landry Jones didn't look that great and the offensive line was terrible and everyone was just like I don't think anyone thought they would lose that game. I think they played Idaho State. Nobody thought they were gonna lose, but people were kinda nervous maybe that they'd come out flat and not look very good. They ended up winning like sixty three to nothing or something like that. Like scored like three touchdowns on their first like five plays of the game. It was like it just showed up. It was over. Like right right from the whistle. Uh, this game will be similar. This is teams like this. Even like even the North Dakota states of the world, Lee would would come into Owen Field and get and get ran off the field. the The talent level, especially in terms of skill positions on offense, is just the the gap there is so vast, so vast. 
you think even North Dakota State would get ran off the field? I mean, I think they're a team yeah. that if yeah. they played, they, they wouldn't have. No, would not not have had a pr- not a prayer of stopping Oklahoma's offense. Are you talking in a different era or right now? I'm talking right now. Not even not a prayer. Yeah, yeah probably. Uh, I'd say because I've always kind of thought North Dakota State, if they played Division One and played. I mean, they could probably play in the Big Ten or the Big Twelve, and probably be play, a middle yeah, of the I road mean, type team that would that would win yeah, you, no, you I, know, I, eight nine games a year. I, could, I mean, I could see that. I, I I think they'd be a they'd probably be you know where they are right now probably be a seven or eight win team in college, in Division One college football every single season. But no, I mean they would they would come into Norman and they would get absolutely ran off the field. Would not even be close. Uh, Grant, I have uh, a Lincoln Riley story. It's brief. But uh, I haven't told you this at all, so you haven't heard this story. But I mentioned last week on Friday, Lincoln Riley was nice enough to do a sit-down one-on-one interview with Dean Blevins on, at News 9. So I got a chance to go along with Brian Mueller, another sports reporter at News 9, and we shot the interview. We set up the cameras and the lights and everything like that. And, of course, I wanted to go because I wanted an opportunity to hang out and maybe talk to Lincoln Riley a little bit. So anyways, when the interview was over with and we were saying thanks and you know take care, when I you know went to shook his hand or shake his hand, I said, "So, coach, I just started reading a book called Breaking Down the 2018 Oklahoma Offense." And have you heard about this book yet, Grant? Yeah, I have. I've seen it uh I've seen it plugged on online a uh, a few times. So yeah, I have the book. And I started reading it, and I'm only, you know, I've a chapter into it. And, I mean, it's, it's a football X's and O's junkie type dream. And it's written by a guy named Noah Riley, which I thought, is this guy related to Lincoln Riley? And, no, he's, turns out, I believe he's the nephew of Mike Riley, who is the former coach, I think, at what, Oregon State. Uh, I think he might have coached in the NFL for a bit. I could be wrong about that, but uh, no, Lee. He was most recently the previous head coach at the University of Nebraska. Nebraska, okay, yeah. He was at Oregon State. He did. Co- he was at Oregon State. He went from Oregon State to Nebraska, and then he was there for uh, two or three years, and he was fired because that was a yeah terrible hire. And now Scott Frost. Yeah, he was at Oregon State for a long time, from long time. to long twenty fourteen. Yeah, built that into a to a pretty respectable program. So, yeah, and he was an NFL head coach, didn't have a good record at all in the NFL. Uh, still a better record than Hugh Jackson. But So, anyways, uh, the kid, I mean, it's a, a kid named Noah Riley, and, and clearly he's got football in his blood. And from what I understand, it's just the entire book is based off of just his film watching and just kind of what he sees and what he knows about football. And so I said that to Lincoln Riley, and I wasn't sure if he'd – maybe I'm just naive. I just kind of thought because, you know, he's got so much stuff on his plate and you know recruiting in the summertime i mean who knows if he even knew about this book and oh no he knows all about the book he was very aware of it and let's just say that he didn't seem particularly happy that this book exists and i was shocked i could not believe it because i thought he would take it as like oh hey yeah great i mean hope you're learning some some cool stuff uh, he, I mean, and then he kind of started joking a little bit about it because I mean, he, he's an easygoing guy, but I kind of got the sense that he's, he's not that happy that this book is out there, which to me tells me that, well, one, he's kind of a private person. I mean, obviously his offense is incredible. He's an offensive genius. And it tells me that a lot of the stuff in this book from this 
Noah O'Reilly, it, it must be pretty accurate. I mean, he, he's a pretty good film watcher. And I, I don't know if, if, if Lincoln likes that some of his plays and things like that and some of his diagrams are, are readily available out there. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't anticipate that, but, you know. I can understand that. I can understand that from his perspective. But at the same time, it's, you know, all of that information, all that film is available to everybody if they want. You know, so it's I, I have a hard time believing there's not people in, in you know, in other football programs who are able to watch film and come to the same conclusions this guy has. People still can't freaking stop it. Right. So right. And it, it, it just it the, the thing with Lincoln Riley's offense is that it it puts players in a bind psychologically. You have to be so drilled in what and what they do and how they do it. And, and then you have to stop guys who are going to be playing the NFL running it. So that like that's the problem. So, anyways, I just, I found that to be interesting, and hopefully uh, Lincoln Riley doesn't hate me for reading reading the book about his offense. I promise, Coach. I just want to learn more about your offense and get smarter with football. I have no intentions of helping out opponents and sharing any information, even though it's obviously readily available online. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just I you know I I other teams watch film too, and you know OU really doesn't run like a ton of different plays what they they just run variations of a of a lot of different stuff and there's just so much you have to keep track of as a defensive player i just I, I don't even know if it's possible for the human mind to a lot of the time to react that quickly to a lot of the stuff i mean that's that's the genius of the offense anyway he uh he did kind of he was kind of lighthearted about it, though it, afterwards like yeah you know what it it it, 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 yeah, it is what it is so uh, that's my Lincoln Riley story for probably the entire summer until maybe I and get a chance he, to talk to him. And then he punched you in the face. And then he punched me in the face and said, I hate your podcast. You should quit. And I said, you listen to my podcast. Now that's, that's taking it a little too far, Lincoln. Come on. Yeah, but you know what? I, I said, you know, he punched me in the face. I said, thank you. That meant a lot. <laughs> and I asked him to, to, okay. to autograph the book. All right, uh, this is going off the rails. Uh, you got anything else you want to add? You good? Uh, I think I'm good. I don't think anything else has happened in the week, uh, in the last week or so. So I think we're good. Until next week. Before we go, I just want to say thanks to Sydney, who's a avid West of Everest listener. He went on the Facebook page and posted his depth chart predictions for every every position, offense and defense. So maybe next week or something we can. If there's, I'll look over it again. If there's a couple that stand out to me, I I, I think he had Woody Washington as a starting corner. Which is a pretty hot take. Okay. So okay. Uh, yeah. I'll, uh, so thanks, Sydney. I, I, I will appreciate admit you taking the time to do that, and and we uh, we saw it. So I just wanted to acknowledge that real quick at the end of the show. Thanks for the. I, uh, I will admit that I have I I have not been as as readily available on social media lately. That is a concerted effort on my part uh, to not be on social media. So I apologize for that. But um, I'm kind of kind of starting to take the track. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of starting to take the track that social media is completely cancerous and terrible and everyone needs to go away from it. So I'm just kind of trying to trying to sort of practice what I preach in that regard, but I'm sure that won't last forever. All right, next week we'll do South Dakota and UCLA. That'll be the plan tentatively. We'll tackle those teams and also discuss any other developments worth discussing in the world of Oklahoma College football or any other football stories. And if I see or hear a hot take i'm sure we'll talk about that as well i always love the hot take of the week segment haven't heard any though recently been a lot of nba discussion in the shows i watch not a whole lot of football discussion which is 
Kind of unfortunate, but uh, I digress. Until next week, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.